Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the fourth Youth Forum of the school year. My name is Kennedy Smith, a junior at Hawkins School and a member of the City Club of Cleveland's Youth Forum Council. I am pleased to introduce today's forum, a conversation on the future of the workforce. As we head into what many may consider the fourth industrial revolution, not only are people wondering what the workforce will look like, but, it but what it will look like for those who have yet to enter the workforce entirely. Entirely new job industries are emerging, and the landscapes of others are drastically different than they were 10 years ago. According to the Future of Jobs, Employment, Skills, and Workforce Strategy for the Forced Industrial Revolution, published by the World Economic Forum, technolo technological advancement means that a reduced number of workers with an entirely new set of tasks are needed. For the world's youngest workers, and those not yet old enough to work, not only does this mean a different landscape than ever, than their parents are accustomed to, but a whole new frontier when it comes to the future of our work. Our panelists today are here to discuss, our panelists today discuss, to discuss this include Bashara Addison, Senior Manager, Policy and Strategic Initiatives at, at Towards Employment, Craig Dorn, President and CEO of Youth Opportunities Unlimited, and Leopoldo Pena, co-founder and head of product at the Opportunity Exchange. Here to guide our discussion is Youth Forum Council member, Sam Lehman, a senior at Shaker Heights High School. Sam, I turn the forum over to you. Thank you, Kennedy. So uh, I'm Sam Lehman, a senior at Shaker High School, and welcome to the fourth uh, Youth Forum of the Year. The panelists, we have us, the panelists we have with us today to discuss the future of the workforce. So just to start, can you guys just tell us what you do and how it relates to the future of the workforce? Um, I'm Bashara Addison. Um, I work for Towards Employment, and my primary role is to really focus on policy and special projects for the organization. Um, the reason why that's important as we talk about the future of work is that we know, and one of the things we'll talk get into later is about the gig economy and how um, a lot of work has changed where individuals are contract workers, and there are policy implications for that. So if you're a contract worker, you may not be, you may not have access to employer-sponsored benefits. And so as the future of work changes, we have to pay attention to the policy ecosystem that supports or hinders that. And that's part of my role at Towards Employment. Hi everyone, I'm Craig Dorn. Uh, youth Opportunities Unlimited is the largest youth workforce organization in Northeast Ohio. We serve about 5,000 young people every year, age 14 to 24. We're most known for our summer jobs program. So if you are age 14 to 24, and looking for a summer job, go online and register right now. And we do a variety of other programs, but all we do is youth workforce, so we're really happy to be here today. I do also want to say one other thing about me. I'm a proud Heights High alum, so shout out to the Heights High table. <laughs> okay. Hi there, I'm <coughs> Leo Pena, co-founder of the Opportunity Exchange. We're an end-to-end -end economic development platform. 
Uh, we work with cities, counties, and states so they can better understand what products are being developed in their communities. Uh, my experience of, of the future of the workforce and the way it's changing has been from the startup side. My career has always been working small tech startups and seeing that experience from anything from recruiting and hiring to growing the employees within the company and seeing ways to, to meet the changes in demand of, of skills for, for startups, particularly around tech. So how well, um, just to start off, so how well do you guys feel our current education system is preparing students for the workforce as it stands today and as it will change in the future? Sure. Uh, uh, in general, the education system does, is not particularly equipped to prepare for the workforce, especially in the soft skill area. The uh, HR community points to things like communication, collaboration, being good at persuasion. And these are things that may not be part of the education system. But there are some things in Cleveland that are really worth noting, particularly CMSD has been trying to address this for a number of years. And, and one thing they're doing very recently that's a very exciting opportunity to be much more proactive. So for many years, CMSD focused on social, emotional learning as something that they pay attention to. And about four months ago, kicked off a career pathways project. Everyone has heard about Say Yes, and that's a really exciting initiative. What Eric Gordon and his leadership have also realized is that whether you go to college or not, you really need to take the time to prepare for these skills. So there's a group of us, some of us I see in the room today who are on a, a, a series of task force are really trying to figure out how CMSD can be a national leader in this space, because when we look around, no one else is doing it nationally, to figure out how grades 6 through 12 change the curriculum on its head and really address these issues. But in general, school systems don't, but CMSD is going to try to make Cleveland proud. I think there's some um, interesting tensions. So we know that there's the kind of the basic foundation that you should get through the K-12 system. And I would argue that our education system is inconsistent in delivering that across, across the country. So it's not whether it's just Cleveland or not. Um, we always want to push our young people to go into four-year uh, four universities. But the truth is the growing jobs, um, as uh, CEO Eric Gordon from the Cleveland Schools would call it, um, actually we need to focus on the Tech 2.4, the technical certificate, the two-year degree, and the four-year degree. Uh, the growing jobs in the greater Cleveland area are largely in manufacturing. And you can gain those skills by going through um, a two-year or a technical uh, credential program at uh, Tri-C. You could also do that go by going through a career tech program. Um, but we also know that regardless of whether you're going into any kind of tech 2.4 program, largely employers feel like young people do not have the skills to enter their workforce. And the most of those programs, even the technical certificates, the short-term credential programs, require education levels, particularly in reading and math, um, between ninth and 10th grade. And a good portion of the adults in the greater Cleveland area are only reading at a seventh grade level and below. And so even if you're going through the K-12 system, I would argue that individuals are graduating um, without some of the foundational skills to even participate and be successful in a technical program. Not to mention, as we look at the future of work, nine in 10 jobs um, in the next 10 years are gonna require digital skills. I have a feeling that a lot of young people in this room are probably more comfortable with technology um, than some earlier generations. Uh, but digital skills aren't just being able to use the computer. 
you've got to be able to use integrated platforms when you're in a business environment. Uh, with the gig economy, you might be working on virtual teams. We're also living in a global economy, which means your counterparts might actually be in a different state or a different country. And so being able to do virtual work and uh, self-regulation, self that gets to the social emotional piece, being able to guide yourself is really important. So I'm not sure that our K-12 system is consistently uh, preparing young people for that, uh, for that reality. I think one of the things that is missed is that there's, there's a difference between preparation, I think, just exposure to it. Um, I think if you were to say, looking from a tech lens, saying there's, there's a lot of coding boot camps that come out to, to put in the same category as technical um, certificate degrees after, after K through 12, um, there's a lack of exposure to, to what is coding, what is computer science, what is software. Uh, and you, I think you see that unmet need from the K-12 system being met via programs like TEALS that exist and partner with schools in, in CMSD and schools throughout uh, the greater Cleveland area, but is a program outside of the school system. Um, and I think outside of learning fluency, I think the exposure to it um, allows for a better stepping stone into technical programs around particularly software. So uh, I am obviously a high school student. If I feel like my school wasn't doing enough to prepare me to be in the workforce afterwards, what could I do on my own, yeah, outside of school, inside of school, to make sure that I am prepared? I can uh, kick us off. So one, um, Towards Employment, Towards Employment, by the way, is a workforce development organization, and we work with individuals, adults, 18 and over, which means we have some specialized programming for uh, young adults 18 to 24 and we co-manage the Young Adult Resource Center with opportunity, uh, Youth Opportunities Unlimited. And so one is to connect to that Youth Resource Center and get connected to Ohio Means Jobs because they will give you a ton of resources in, at professional development. Um, they'll give you resources in terms of access to uh, financing for which they call individual training accounts for certain um, technical careers in the greater Cleveland area. Um, and it's really important. And one of the best practices that we use at Towards Employment is um, individual career mapping to help uh, young people get exposed to careers in different interest areas. And then you want to be able to connect those individuals to internships, externships, co-ops, um, pre-apprenticeship programs, uh, work experiences. And we find one of the most useful tools for the young adults that we work with is uh, paid work experiences. I'd say a couple things. First, network, network, network. It's still true, whether we like it or not, but who you know matters. In fact, uh, there's some research that shows that if you're from a higher economic strata, you're 12 times more likely to get opportunities because of that network. So what can you do to expand your network in addition to what Bashara already said? Uh, be creative. Think about f folks from school, your friends, parents, uh, neighbors, church. Uh, networking is, is a skill, so you'll need to get uh, coached and mentored on, on how to do it and to practice and try not to be shy and just reach out to people. People love to talk about themselves, so if you just ask someone to, to tell a little bit more about what they're doing and, and, and learn about it, that's one thing. The other, which sounds so simple but is really important, is get any job right now. I was talking to a young lady at the Heights table who was getting ready to start a job at McDonald's and uh, was saying, eh, you know, fast food. Uh, most of us in this room started with a, a job. Our first job, our second job is definitely not our last job. Most of us probably had a job that we're, thank God, not in right now. And 
The, the research shows, the reason that's important is if you work in, in high school, especially true if you are from economically disadvantaged background, it's particularly important. First of all, people who work when they're younger tend to make more money when they're older. And also when you're uh, younger, it does, as long as you're not working too many hours, it's correlated to better grades, better attendance, higher graduation rates. A lot of national studies show that even a six-week summer job program can increase your opportunities in all those areas. So network and work anywhere. And if you can't find a job because of the economy or something, at least volunteer, do community service, because that mimics a lot of what you can learn on a job. That's a great point. One of my first jobs was as a sandwich artist at Subway. And I can tell you I make amazing subs now. But um, besides my, my sandwich abilities, I think food service and things that show you exposure to so many different people and characters is important, particularly at a young age when you're starting to form to the point of those soft skills. That soft skill, skill development happens very rapidly and almost out of necessity when working in an external facing role. Uh, particularly in food service or, or even customer support. Uh, and I can tell you, I, when, when I went to college, dealing with different personalities was so easy after working a lunch rush shift. Uh, so, <laughs> no, but, but it's, it's a great joke, but it's very serious. I think in terms of d development of those soft skills, I think experience there is what matters the most. I don't know that I saved any of those six fifty an hour what, plus tips that I made, but uh, the experience carried on. Um, so that's one point. I think the other one, a little different from preparation in terms of skills, I think the career landscape is changing in a way where purpose-driven and mission-driven work is becoming more common, uh, particularly um, those that are, that are in I don't know, late 20s, early 30s that will become the people hiring you when you're in the, in the workplace or applying to jobs, care about your relationship to the mission of their work. Um, so I'd recommend understand what you care about, understand what you're passionate about. Um, there's there's so much more work that you deliver and you provide when you care about the work that you're doing. Um, so outside of preparing to be able to do the work, prepare to find the job and the work that, that makes you passionate about. So um, as we have new advancements, you could say, in the economy with things such as the gig economy and you know, working for and so-called you know, multi-hyphenates, like I do Uber and I do Airbnb and I do all these things. Or, uh, so how do you see that affecting students as they move into the workforce? Um, a couple things. One, um, you want to make sure that you're a lifelong learner because things will continue to change. And to your last question, um, there's also a ton of free resources that you can take advantage of. Uh, when you think about the Cleveland Public Library, um, uh, Felton Thomas always says it's the People's University. Um, I don't go to the physical facility that often, but I do have a county public library card and a Cleveland Public Library card. And if you have your, your card number, you can log into a site called, for instance, Canopy, and look at a bunch of old documentaries for free. And so, one, take advantage of the free resources that, that are out there. I'm in a graduate program right now, and Khan Academy and I have become very good friends, <laughs> um, basically reteaching myself algebra for economics. Uh, so I take advantage of what's out there, um, and I think that's really important as you as you get, as the workforce changes, you want to make sure that you're changing with it, which means you have to be a continuous learner. I would also say that there is going to be a real challenge in our community. Um, and I have a feeling if you're already here, if you're particularly in this room, that means someone has identified you as someone, as a young person with potential. That's why, that's why they invited you to this forum. And 
there's going to be a point, particularly after you graduate, where the missed opportunities and the inequities that exist in our society truly become realized because you cannot stay in a low-wage job working um, at McDonald's and, and actually be able to have a living wage in Northeast Ohio. A living wage in Northeast, Northeast Ohio is about $17 an hour. So if you're making 10, just so you know, that's not a living wage. Um, not great at math, but that's, it's not a living wage. So you wanna make sure that that is just a first job and not your last job. And when we think about the opportunities that might be afforded to you, you might have access to scholarships, you might go on to a four-year university, and what you're gonna see oftentimes that happens in the workplace are wage gaps, and there's a growing wage gap between black and white workers, both in Northeast Ohio and nationally. And what you'll also see is that as you rise in your company, there's gonna be fewer people that are different from you. And so keeping that in mind, and you're all growing into be potential leaders, that that's not a good thing. And so we have to fight against that, but you're at a point in your life right now where if you know that's happening right now, be aware of it, be cognizant, and if you're in a leadership role, one day try and change it. So I wanna just piggyback on two things that Bashar said. One is that a lot of the jobs, almost any job is going to require getting some education after you graduate. So make sure you graduate high school, but don't think that's going to be the end. Now, interestingly, over half the jobs in the United States and in Ohio and in Northeast Ohio require advanced degree or some advanced certification, but do not require a four-year degree. So there are jobs, some are really well known, like registered nurse. Some uh, are jobs, it was already mentioned, manufacturing. There's 3,000 openings in manufacturing right now. Many of them do pay a living wage. Most of the really good ones, though, require some advanced degree. So be prepared, as uh, both of my fellow panelists have said, to pursue some advanced degree. And be open to, there's so many jobs out there that you've never heard of. Most of the jobs, or, or many of the jobs that are gonna be developed in the next 20 years, we don't even know what they exist. We talk a lot about AI. Uh, 20 years ago or so, no one even knew what that was. So we don't even know what the jobs are gonna be, so be ready to be very nimble. So all the things we've talked about, developing your skills, especially your soft skills, and be ready to be nimble, because the job, many of you will be working a job at some point in your career that doesn't even exist right now. Yeah, I think the importance of learning how to learn. Um, there's a lot of things you can learn, but at the importance of knowing how to pick something new, learn what the basics are, and understand it with fluency, uh, I think is almost more important than learning s some more specialized fields, right? Uh, the reason I say that, um, start working at a startup, for example, is a great example. And, and as we have smaller companies doing more work, uh, because that is one of the, the changing facets of the workplace, the ability to be nimble, as, as you mentioned, it comes from, I think, that ability to say, how am I going to learn how to do this completely unrelated thing um, and do it well in a way that produces results? Um, I think that that's one of the more important aspects to, to continue to think about, being a lifelong learner, not just being able to pick up anything and say, oh, that's interesting, but understand how to apply it and place it in the work that you do. So how do you guys feel these changes in the workplace will affect upward mobility for people? as they uh, graduate from high school. Well, just to piggyback again on what was already said, it is definitely an issue if you are a minority and if you're a woman and there are other variables. 
where all the research shows, just to give one statistic, right now the unemployment rate for African Americans in Cuyahoga County is three times higher than it is for uh, whites. So it is definitely something that's out there, and I really appreciate that what was said is we're all leaders in the room, so let's do something about it. I can tell you something that a uh, few things that YOU and Towards Employment are trying to do very specifically. We're part of an initiative together called Generation Work, and that's funding that's allowing us to reach out to employers and use the advantage we have as workforce organizations. We interface with employers every day and start to educate them on and show them data so that they can start to reflect on their practices. Also, we want to not just talk the talk, but walk the walk with my colleague Tobin, who's in the audience, I'll call out. YLU's kicking off an initiative in the next couple weeks where we're going to look at ourselves. We're an employee, we employ 85 people ourselves. So let's look at ourselves and make sure we're not doing anything inadvertently uh, around uh, the upward mobility and social and, and equity and, and inclusion and bring in a, a, some people to look at our practices and see how we can improve and lead by example. Um, and towards employment, um, as a partner in this work with uh, YOU, we're doing something similar where we've brought in, we actually have some of the same consultants, uh, to really help us look at our organizational and board practices. Uh, we also, in 2018, had an organizational goal that 100% of our staff would go through racial equity training, which we came close to meeting. And it was in racial equity training that is still going on, which is uh, living with uh, Cleveland Neighborhood Progress in the Third Space Action Lab. It's a two-day racial equity training. Um, I'm a firm believer, and as well as um, organizationally, we believe that you really have to understand your history before you can move forward to really understand the root causes of why we have some of the challenges we have today. And so when you think about how you walk the talk, we have to make sure that our organizations are doing the work that we're going to ask other employers to do. And then when it comes to social mobility, once we've practiced it internally, we can talk to employers about here are some of the practices you might need to change to be able to create um, advancement opportunities for individuals of, of color and, and young people. So whenever you're uh, part of a, a, a subpopulation, whether it's your, your young, your gender, or your race, um, Every group needs some customized support to move ahead. I think there's a, there's a few aspects to it. There, at least the way I view it, I think around employment and hiring and, and culture practices are important. So we, for us, we're a pretty small company. We're a majority people of color company. Uh, and for that, it's been a lot of very active hiring and very active recruiting. Uh, how to be conscientious about where you reach out to, to hire new roles. Uh, has been a big part of it, right? Your networks reflect who you are mostly, uh, and you have to be very aware of that and those implicit biases throughout the entirety of recruiting process, not just the interview process. Uh, so I think you, both of you have touched on a lot from the employer side. Um, I think from from future future career person in the audience, I think uh, think for for me at least when I was going through through college, I, I pivoted a few times. I ended up in a what I would like to. So he has a more objective career at the beginning path. So I was working in software for, for a tech company. Um, and I think looking for places where you can separate who you are from your work and show the objectiveness of the, the value you're delivering is important. Uh, the reason I say that, that's one way to combat a lot of the biases that come from, from people judging the work that you're doing or the applications that you're submitting. 
uh, to focus on here are proven experiences that I, I had. Here's the impact that I had in, in this job or this internship when applying uh, is one way to, to look at it to try to help reduce uh, the bias that, that everyone has when reviewing resumes, when reviewing applications, and when interviewing candidates. Um, so, so to kind of advice when, you, when you're sitting in a room on the other side of the table interviewing. Uh, but as, as a company, there's always more that we can do. Um, a lot of it is understanding our shortcomings and addressing those, uh, particularly people that are not in the same room as us. Uh, so that's very important. So what are areas you feel that um, already maybe have too many people into it, areas that are kind of oversaturated in the market, perhaps? Oversaturated. Uh, in, in regards to how we're preparing people to uh, work in regard. So it's work. interesting. Uh, when you share this question in advance, did a little research, because don't know the answer off the top of my head. The <laughs> gut instinct I had was lawyer, and that's what the research shows. <laughs> so if you, if you just think about uh, the economy, is there really a need to keep generating a lot more legal professionals? Because the, the, uh, the need is fairly static and stable. So that is one to, now that doesn't mean don't major in political science or get a law degree, because there's a lot of other things you can do with that. But in terms of actually a saturated uh, law, law, there's two others that, that came out. These are not going to be surprising. Arts and fashion type of, of degrees. And again, there's, there's not a lot of fashion jobs out there, especially outside of New York City. <laughs> and then my personal favorite is my own major, psychology. Uh, <laughs> so uh, again, it worked out. It, it, again, it doesn't mean you don't necessarily have to major in this, as long as you don't think you're going to necessarily go into it, because there's uh, not necessarily a huge need for more psychologists. Not a bad thing to major if you like the field and willing to go into something else, like nonprofit. But in terms of the actual field, those are some that come to mind. Yeah. I will say, um, if you majored in psychology, one of the key skills that you need to have in the future of work is emotional intelligence. And psychology can't help with that. It's, not a, it's what we call a soft skill and not a hard skill. Um, I can also tell you what's not saturated. Um, we have a huge skills gap um, in IT and manufacturing. Those are the growing sectors in this region. They are undersaturated now, and they're also projected to have more jobs. Now, one of the challenges you'll see that automation, this is what you'll see in the news, automation is potentially you know, eliminating jobs. It is eliminating certain kinds of jobs. Those jobs are going to change, and new jobs are going to be created. And those jobs will require additional digital skills. Um, but IT is definitely um, a hard, those are some hard skills, uh, particularly in computer science, data science, uh, software architects, cybersecurity. These are the jobs that we have unfilled now and will continue to grow, both in Northeast Ohio and um, around the country. And so if you're looking for a market that is uh, in need of individuals, those are two industries that um, are definitely in need of workers. And uh, those are also industries that have, um, I would say, living wage employment. The problem in manufacturing is there's often a cap. And so this is something the danger workforce professionals like ourselves have to think through is, if we push individuals into a particular industry, are we potentially capping their earning potential? So that's something we have to be aware of. But uh, on the surface, those are living wage jobs. And then I would also say growing occupations in healthcare and in education. 
Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but we have a ton of universities around here. Um, and in healthcare, we're always going to have sick people for the rest of time. And so hospitals will always be a growing industry. Those are also fields that are going to have to upskill as it re relate to uh, digital needs. And there's a couple of reports. The National Skills Coalition does a really good job of saying we know that most of the healthcare professionals and even um, manufacturing workers do not have the digital skills as those particular job functions change. So the job's not going away, but it will change, and you could be locked out of those industries if you are not taking the time to upskill or reskill. Uh, so I would say those are the industries you might want to focus on. Um, and then the last one that's growing in Northeast Ohio are the retail service sector jobs. They tend to be lower paying. And so being cognizant of, in terms of policy, how do we make sure that we value all work? Because those jobs aren't going away either, but right now they don't pay a living wage. Yeah, uh, I, I think all the stats are covered from the other two <laughs> panelists, but uh, a, a few points that I will make, I think there's a, there needs to be a clear distinction between what you study and what your career is. I think it, it's, uh, as you choose what you major in, realize that might have nothing to do with what you do afterwards. Uh, what's important is that you learn how to think critically and learn. So that, that's one point. And the other, I can't stress how undersaturated software and hiring is as I struggle to, to hire someone. Uh, but I think more importantly around tech is tech exposure. You don't have to be fluent, but understand, understand it, right? Even healthcare, my, my doctor puts in his notes electronically and my physical therapist puts her notes electronically and I see it on an app. Like being able to understand and interface with devices and knowing that they're always gonna be more and more integrated with the work that you do, regardless of what the work is, is very important. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Peyton Wood and I'm a senior at Andrews Osborne Academy <coughs> and a member of the Youth Forum Council. You've been listening to a forum on the future of the workplace with our panelists, Bishara Addison, Senior Manager of Policy and Strategic Initiatives at Towards Employment, Craig Dern, President and C Craig Dorn, President and CEO of Youth Opportunities Unlimited, and Leopoldo Pena, co-founder and head of product at the Opportunity Exchange, as well as our moderator, Sam Lehman, a senior at Shaker Heights High School and a member of the Youth Forum Council. Now begins the second half of the forum, which is driven by questions from you, the audience. If you have a question, simply raise your hand and one of our mic holders will come over to you. Please keep your question brief, to the point and an actual question. <laughs> if you're watching from home on our live stream, you may post a question on Twitter and tag at City Club Youth, and we'll ask questions from there as time allows. Holding the microphones today are Youth Forum Council members Grace Hansen and Aya Aldasari. Thank you for your attention so far today. Let's hear the first audience question. Hello, panelists. Uh, we heard you guys talk a lot about uh, tech, the gig economy, but I think uh, one thing is being ignored, and that is the probably one of the oldest professions is is, is the trades. Do uh, you think we do a disservice to our young people by focusing so much on technology and uh, math, science, engineering when building things is necessary for our society? Well, uh, great minds think alike. Uh, had she not come in and started the question and answer I was about to say. And one other one I'd like to add is the trades. So there, there really is a great shortage of things like plumbers, electricians, and carpenters. 
And, and like some of these other professions, they're not going to go away. We're going to always have running water and electricity. And, and so that, that age group, uh, the, the average age of the tradespeople is starting to push in the upper 50s, 60s. So absolutely, it's another part of the uh, puzzle. That's again why going back to one of my first comments as Eric Gordon and CMSD think about approaching exposure to careers and a lot of what you've said about just be ready to learn and be very uh, open to a variety of opportunities, but the trades should definitely be in the mix. Absolutely, um, and I, I apologize for not mentioning that. I, that's a growing industry in this region, and we do have a retirement issue where we have not enough people going into the field and lots of people exiting the field. Um, I would also say that there's a number of um, groups in the greater Cleveland area that are thinking about pre-apprenticeship and apprenticeship programs. And so that is a track that not only needs career exposure, but there are some tools that we can help uh, prepare young people for those jobs. The great thing about pre-apprenticeship and apprenticeship programs, it means that you're likely to enter a union um, and you know that there's going to be strong, um, strong wages and strong benefits. Yeah, I, I think when I, when I was going through the process of deciding what I wanted to do and what I wanted to study, I think regarding trades, I had no idea how much a plumber makes, how much an electrician makes. Do, do, do you in the audience know? I think that's important if you look at some of the investment that goes into college. That's something to consider, right? Uh, I, I'm still paying off student loans, right? Am I doing the math and would, would I be happier doing something with my hands? Because I love working with my hands, right? And now I fill it in my free time. So, so that's something to think about. Do, do the math on how much that costs, how much that pays, and how much you're going to invest in college. Uh, my, my question is whether the panelists see any specific policy initiatives at the federal or state level that would support uh, the future workforce, and not to hit a third rail issue, but as an example, uh, free college education. Oh, this uh, policy. Yeah. Yes. So I think at the federal level, there's a lot of energy around thinking about the future of work. Pro probably not this year, you're not going to see a lot of movement this year, but in, in the coming years, I think both sides of the aisle understand that that's important, and there's a number of policy proposals that look at the future of work, um, incentivizing um, employers to create work-based learning opportunities so that you're uh, trans um, translating knowledge from a more senior workforce to a younger workforce, so as they retire, you've been able to build up your incumbent workforce. I think there are some policy proposals that are really thinking through the future of infrastructure. And this is where, you know, trades comes into play. Um, you know, infrastructure, we have a failing infrastructure across the country, FYI. And so we will need people in the trades to help uh, to address these things. And there's going to be technological advances where your skills in the trades will still have to be, or the training in the trades is going to have to adjust for the new tools that will be involved in your trade career. So I think there are some, there's definitely some interest. Um, the, in the state of Ohio, um, John Husted, um, who oversees the Office of Workforce Transformation has done a lot of that. Um, he's thinking about a program called TechCred, which is really um, subsidizing employers to help make sure that their incumbent workforce can access credentials. Um, I think that's one approach that you can take of many. Um, I would argue to really prepare individuals, we need to A, build up our basic infrastructure around broadband access um, because um, the Internet of Things is just, that is going to be um, 
almost a basic, it's going to become or is already a basic need. Um, and as we do that, making sure that individuals have access to academic remediation so that they can participate in some of the programming. And then I would argue that, and this is a funding question, a, a political will and a funding question, universities and uh, colleges need to rethink their programming and adjust uh, learning styles for different kinds of learners and embed new, pro uh, new curriculum uh, to prepare people for the future of work. Um, and all of that would have to be addressed at the federal level through the Higher Education Act, which has not yet been reauthorized, um, and also at the state level as it relates to how we actually go about financing it. I mean, I just add a couple other things. This is truly Bashar's expertise, uh, but one thing that's nice about workforce is it does tend to be something both sides of the aisle support. There are, are, as it was mentioned at the state level, some interesting initiatives uh, around uh, micro-credentials. And then one other I just call out because it's our own senator is Senator Portman has for a number of years been trying to get through Congress something called the Jobs Act, which would allow the use of Pell Grant money for some of these other kinds of shorter term training. And so there's, there's a couple other examples. And that Jobs Act also has bipartisan support. So Senator uh, Sherrod Brown has signed on to it. And um, a number of uh, congressional representatives from Ohio, both Republican and Democrat, have signed on to that bill as well. Um, hi. Thank you for having me here. My name is Elizabeth Sturdivant, and um, I'm from Cleveland Heights High School. Uh, my question was, by what age should you be making um, the living range in Cleveland? And other than the retail, what else should be the focus on that? So um, I can tell you right now that um, right now, young people age 18 to 29 uh, the, in the Cleveland metro area, um, are earning about 59% of the wages of a typical worker. So the average wage for that for that age range, so the one you're getting ready to walk into, it's about 11.13 an hour, uh, compared with 18.78 for all workers, age 15 to 64. So there's definitely a earnings gap between young people 18 to uh, 29 versus other workers in the industry. I wouldn't say that there's a uh, an age where you should be um, getting a particular earning. Um, I think uh, this is something that our panelists have alluded to. You've got to figure out what you're interested in and what you love, and then uh, chart a path to be able to get there. I work in the nonprofit sector. I didn't start off making what I do now, but I had to work my way up. Um, I also found lots of people who are willing to support me, some of whom are in this room, including my dad, always helps me out. Uh, so it's thinking through who your support systems are. Um, I think this Cleveland School District is actively working to build up some formal support systems for young people that don't have those uh, systems in place already. So thinking about college now would be one. Uh, connections to Youth Opportunities Unlimited would be another. Um, so I don't know if there's a particular age, because I'm not totally answering your question here, but you do want to get to a point where you're spending your time doing work that plays to your purpose and your passion which means your education and the types of things you're involved in um, should follow that. And I find that if you do that really well, things are gonna work themselves out, but it means that you have to be proactive and take initiative. 
I think that brings up a larger point around education. One, one thing we haven't touched is financial literacy. And I think to, to understand it's okay if ages 15 through 35, I'm not making the living wage, like I'm, ma I'm making below the living wage, but I understand how much I'm saving, I understand how much I'm spending, and I understand how much I could make and what I need. Uh, and I think that that's something to think about is, do you understand how much money, like better understanding how much money you need to retire, how much money you need to make between the age, like when you graduate or uh, when you start working until the time you want to stop working. How much money should you have saved if you decide to pursue something that you're incredibly passionate about but you need to learn to do well and make money in? How, how much can you afford to take that time to do? Uh, so I, I would encourage, outside of learning you know, science and, and learning how to learn, learn, learn money and understanding how, what, how much money do you need, how much money you need to save, how much money you need to make. Um, that, that's important to be able to to answer that question for yourself, because it might be different for you than it might be for me, or it might be for everyone in the audience. Hello. My name's Ariane. I'm from St. Martin de Porres High School. I'm a senior. And my question is that um, you guys mentioned about picking a career that you are passionate in so that we can effectively, you know, make more money. Um, how could, what can be some advice for us to help what could be some advice to help us find our passion um, a little bit more quicker? Because I don't want to like go to college and like switch my major a hundred different times. <laughs> so, what is like? What would be your advice? So there's a couple things that you can do. You can do informational interviews. So instead of interviewing for a job, uh, reach out and set up an interview again. As I said earlier, people do love talking about themselves and ask them about what they're doing. A more intensive way is an internship. YOU offers an internship program and there are others. Internship is a great way to engage with a potential career and you can do this at the high school level or even while you're in early in your college career so you, as you say, you don't major in something and then go, oops, I don't really like it. So those are, are two areas and then a third one going back to what I was saying about networking is uh, through your network, see what uh, what other kinds of uh, research you can do. I think you mentioned something about career research in, in your answer as well. Use the internet and read up about the, the careers and, and see if you can get a picture of what it's like. But the first two things I mentioned would be really good ways to explore before you major in something. Yeah, I would um, say there's a couple things. Uh, one, there are a number of schools, including CMSD, that have focused on kind of dual enrollment where you can be in high school and take uh, classes at Tri-C and those classes at Tri-C then carry over um, or count towards your um, degree at Cleveland State. And so taking advantage of those opportunities accelerates your education. Um, it's also cheaper and then it actually gives you the wiggle room to figure out what you want to do and take some of those uh, kind of uh, those classes that may not necessarily connect to your major but might interest you. Um, we use uh, what we call work experiences, so they're not exactly an internship, they're shorter term, but you get a chance to get a feel for the workplace, so I think that's another key thing. When you're, um, if you're college bound, um, there's a number of opportunities through AmeriCorps where you can do um, work study experiences. I did one when I was in college. Um, you should take advantage of different programming your universities offers to travel. If the, instead of going on spring break to hang out with your friends, you could do an alternative break and actually travel and do a service project. So take advantage of the experiences available. 
The challenge is that, and again, this gets at the stratification, um, where we're at a tipping point where some are going to have advantages and some will not. Um, those, these are opportunities that happen when you're, you're college bound. Um, and so I think as a community, we have to do a better job of creating those types of learning experiences for young people that are not college bound. And we know that a lot of young people, particularly in the greater Cleveland area, face a lot of barriers. We didn't talk at all about the juvenile justice system and the impact that a criminal record could have um, on the rest of your life. But those, there's a number of ways that we create barriers. Um, and so the folks on this panel um, and other leaders in the room, we have to think through how we make sure that those same experiences that we know are already available at the university level are also available for the young people that aren't um, going into a four-year institution. Yeah, I think most of my advice is around being at a, at a four-year institution. I think uh, I worked most of the, the entirety of college out of necessity, not necessarily out of exploration, but that is one way to do it. You have eight semesters. Pick a new on-campus job every semester that has skills that apply to a job. I did survey research and I cold called people and made me realize I don't want to do sales or cold call calling sales. And like try to find ways where some of the small skills in those jobs apply to greater careers. Uh, hi, my name is Aaliyah Oatman from Heights High. Yeah, okay, Cleveland Heights High School. And my question is, do you think it's good to uh, invest in stocks as a high schooler? For example, like Apple stocks starting at $315 a share. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm going to jump in on that. Uh, <laughs> um, it, it, it's, it's, it's funny because I I, on my walk over, I was looking at Twitter, and one of the first things that popped up was, my, my daughter has 200, college is going to cost $200,000. Do the math, put that $200,000 in average returns on the stock market over 40 years. You can coast on that. You don't have to do anything. Uh, so. From if you if you have access to that, maybe consider consider do, doing that. If you don't have access to it, uh, but you also don't have three hundred dollars, you might have five, you might have ten, you might have fifteen, uh, and invest in stocks that are that are priced at much lower, and not out of need of if you're going to make you know a hundred thousand dollars, but understanding what those financial instruments are, understanding what what people do to to save and and grow their net worth in, in the mar in modes for retirement, right? Um, most likely, I, I'm not going to retire off the stocks that I put in there, but I advise anyone that's graduating college or before that, even as soon as you're able to legally do it, uh, put some money in it. It, it. Just having money in it makes you invested in it, and it, it literally and figuratively, um, and it gives you an understanding into how these things work. Brandy from Heights High School, and I'm a freshman. I want to be involved in a business one day, have my own business. So my question is, how do I make a name for myself now? I want to be successful, like, now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to be successful yesterday so I could retire today. Um, honestly, a lot, of, a lot of having your own company and starting your own thing is being flexible. Uh, and I think we've talked about it throughout the panel is like the ability to understand and learn, but also the ability to be coached by others that will give you advice when you're starting your thing. And more importantly, around flexibility is understanding that it's okay to fail, that it's okay for people to say no to you, they're not going to buy whatever you're selling, uh, that they're never going to do it, and stop calling me, why are you calling me? 
but but honestly, uh, I think a lot of it is figure out what you really what you really want to do. Uh, like there there's a lot of hardships and a lot of difficulties with building your own thing. And if you're not invested and if you don't care about what you're building, you will give up. Uh, and the second is understand that you're gonna fail a ton. Uh, I last company I was at, I was the second person there. We grew to 70 something people. And then one day it didn't exist and I wasn't there and none of the other 70 people were there. And understanding that sometimes you fail and that's okay. Understand why you fail, learn from it and try again. Um, name for yourself today, just find something that people will buy. It doesn't matter, not that 100 people will like, find something that 10 people will love, right? And those people will follow you and you can sell it to them and then maybe they'll tell another 10 people and you can do that again, uh, but try. Um, I'd say it's not unusual. Um, I went to Shaker Heights High School, um, and uh, there's a set of brothers, um, and they're uh, two young men that are um, d uh, sons of one of my good friends, and they created a soap-making business uh, called Bruce Brothers. And um, they are, when they, all of their free time pretty much goes to going to all the festivals, selling their soap, and they actually have a really great business and they've gotten a lot of attention. Um, so part of it is one of the reasons why they're successful is they have really good branding. So branding is one, making sure that you have, uh, figuring out what your signature brand is, making sure that you have a solid product, which means you're gonna have to test your product before you actually put it to the market. Sounds like you might wanna be involved in a youth entrepreneurship program. Um, I don't know if YOU still has, does YOU still have we, yours? We uh, sorta of kinda do. So I used to be a, um, I used to be a coach for that. Okay. Uh, I used to volunteer there, and um, I would also say the NAACP um, in Greater Cleveland has done some work around financial literacy for young people. So I would take advantage of those kinds of programs, and then also understand the landscape. So the president of the NAACP now is also the executive director of ECDI Northern, which um, is a micro loan organization, and so tapping into what organizations in the region actually have resources for small business owners. So before you are successful today, you actually have to know the ecosystem, um, and those are some good places to start. Uh, hi, my name is uh, Chanel, and um, I don't remember who said something about um, the current, or I'm 32 years old, so more than likely I'll be in a position to hire some of the people who are in this room now, some of the youth. So um, of course this is a youth forum, but I wonder if there's any focus or any organizations out there that are thinking of the 25 to 40 year old um, worker in the workforce right now that may not have gotten the soft skills and the technology skills that the youth today are getting. Um, and if not, do you foresee that becoming an issue in the future of workforce with these young people who are coming in with those skills, potentially working for people who may not have those skills? I, I, would, I mean, I'd say that's my age range. Um, I think there are programs available, but not at scale. So I'm thinking of the Cleveland Foundation has uh, the Cleveland Public Service Fellows where you can get some, uh, I would say high level uh, work experience that and I find that those young people end up those those opportunities translate into real jobs for them uh, the Cleveland Leadership Center has a number of programs the Neighborhood Leadership Institute um, has some leadership development programs so in terms of soft skills I think there, those programs exist but probably not uh, large enough to serve all of the individuals who might benefit from it 
Um, so that would be one in terms of the technical skills. Um, I mean, I still have some technical skills that I'm just like, you know, I really hope nobody asked me to do anything like that. So I would say there's probably some online free programming. So when I think about MIT has some free, uh, uh, free courses that you can take advantage of, going to the Cleveland Public Library, there might even be a situation where I have to enroll in Tri-C and like actually take some academic remediation. So I think part of it, unfortunately, for our contingent, if we're noticing that there's a skill gap that's going to get in the way of us either supervising some of these young people or some of these young people replacing us, um, I think we just kind of have to take initiative, know what our, our gap is, and, and see what's out there to be able to support it and then make time for it. That's not a great answer, but I think I feel like we're a bit of a lost generation and uh, there's a lot of attention on kind of the older millennials, but there's also, there was infrastructure that kind of, there were some missteps in our, our evolution and I'm not sure there's a, a will to, to correct that at the moment. Um, one last comment. It's cyclical and it happens now. Think about people that are that difference above and think about whether there's technical gaps there, right? There, I think there always will be more exposure to people that are younger to new cutting edge tech. And that's okay to feel, it's okay to feel comfortable that people coming in that are 10 years younger than you might know more about new tech. Just understanding, under, knowing that it exists is more important than being able to do it proficiently. Can you speak briefly to the additional barrier, barriers related to passing a drug test and or transportation? Sure, so first with the drug test, you know, the, it's very interesting what's happening in our country because in some ways, since a lot of states, drugs or uh, marijuana is becoming legal, but the reality of it is that many companies will just eliminate you no matter how qualified you are if you do not pass a drug test. So the short answer advice is don't do drugs, especially before you get ready to apply for a job. So it just, it, that, that's one uh, barrier. With transportation, this is a really interesting issue we haven't talked about. It's, it's one of the biggest issues in Northeast Ohio. So we've talked about skills gap. There are thousands of unfilled jobs. And why are they not filled? Well, one of the reasons is a lot of them are in Solon, Beachwood, Strongsville, Westlake, and a lot of the people who need jobs are in Cleveland and in some of the inner ring suburbs. And if you do not have a car, there's just no good way to get there. Because even if there's public transportation, if the job has a different shift, or if you have some kind of uh, one day you're, you have a childcare issue, transportation's a huge issue. I believe there's been city club forums just on that, that particular issue. So I'd say that it's, it's out there. And it's, it's something we, in our profession, grapple with every day. Yeah, it's a job access issue. Um, yeah, it's not going away because the infrastructure to a, you know, build up rail is very expensive. Um, and the state funding allocated to address those kinds of issues just isn't there. It's just, it's not politically popular at the moment. Um, in terms of busing, um, you know, whether you're concentrating routes or shortening routes. I mean, it's a very difficult and complex system to manage. Um, and we haven't gotten it quite right, not because in, uh, there aren't good intentions, but uh, we haven't gotten it quite right. And it has a cost. And so that means you have to have ridership. And so it's kind of like a, a dog chasing its tail. What do you address first? Do you increase ridership for a system that isn't really serving the ridership well? Or do you fix the system and hope that the ridership follows? 
Um, and so it's a very difficult financial situation that RTA and other um, regional transit agencies have to deal with. Uh, I would also say we, when because of sprawl, uh, we've been calling it a kind of transportation uh, discrimination. So the distance between um, being able to get out to Solon in these outer ring suburbs where um, you know, that, and then there's a question with employers around land use and they get credits to be out there, but the downside is all the workers don't live out there and they have shifts that don't operate along public transit um, hours. And then we have um, basically a job access issue. I think there are a number of leaders, uh, the Fund for Economic Future and NOACA being two of them that are really trying to think through this issue, but we definitely don't have an answer or a solution yet. Um, and I think you had one other point. It was job uh, transportation. There was one other drugs. drugs. So as it relates to drugs, I mean, I, I think people have seen that in the city of Cleveland, we've decriminalized marijuana and a number of other municipalities have done the same and more and more are doing it. Uh, the challenge in some industries, particularly industries like manufacturing, I think we can challenge those employers that they need to be more lenient. At the same time, you're working on really heavy equipment and you do need to be in your right state of mind to be using very expensive equipment that if you don't use it well, you could endanger yourself or somebody else. And so there's, there's a balance that we haven't gotten quite right, but there is a reason for the drug screens, even though I think we need to lower that particular barrier to employment. Yeah, I think I'll only touch on the transportation issue. Um, <clears throat> I, if, if we knew how to solve that, we wouldn't be sitting here. Uh, I'd be ecstatic writing public transportation, which is what I did how to get how I got here. Um, I will say that there there's an increasing number of jobs that don't require you to be there, right? And I think that's something we need to, to acknowledge that telecommuting is a thing, right? And like the presence of you in the workplace is an antiquated concept because and sometimes a, a showing of poor management where you need people's presence to determine their worth or the work that they're producing and not necessarily the work that they're delivering. And I think this is a changing concept in the way people hire and the people manage is what output are you producing? It, obviously, if it's physical and I need to build it there, that's a completely different story. But if I can email you the work that I'm doing, why do I need to be next to you doing it if I'm not even going to talk to you the entire time or I'm going to uh, like instant message you on my Slack, right? Like, so. I think looking at that, that's one way a lot of rural areas are harnessing jobs is creating telecommuting jobs and investing in the infrastructure, broadband specifically, to enable those jobs. So that, I mean, maybe just don't work for someone that requires you to show up there. <laughs> Good afternoon. My name is Sophia Boyer, and I'm a junior at Hathaway Brown School. Um, today at the City Club, we have been listening to a forum on the future of the workforce featuring Bashara Addison, Senior Manager and Policy and Strategic Institute at Towards Employment, Craig Dorn, President and CEO of Youth Opportunities Unlimited, and Leopold Penier, Co-Founder and Head of Product at the Opportunity Exchange. Our moderator is Sam Lenaham, Senior at Shaker Heights High School. City Club Youth Forum is sponsored, is sponsored by AT&T with additional support from the Chair Shar and Chuck Fowler Family Foundation. Today's forum is part of our Workforce Deployment Series sponsored by the Deaconess Foundation and the Cuyahoga Community College Foundation. We appreciate your support. We welcome guests at tables hosted by Ohio Guidestone and Youth Opportunity Unlimited and students from Andrews Osborne Academy, Campus International High School, Cleveland Heights High School, Gilmore Academy, Lincoln West Science and Health, 
Lutheran West High School, MC Squared STEM High School, St. Martin, Martin de Porres High School, and St. Francis Cleveland. Support for student participation in City Club forums also comes from the William N. West Foundation with additional support from donors you've listened in who are listed in today's program. We are happy to have you all here. If you enjoyed this forum, join us on March 11th at noon for the fifth youth forum on the of the 2019-2020 school year in which we discuss dis um, disparities in mental health care for youth. And that brings us to the end of today's forum. Thank you panelists, thank you members and friends of the City Club. This forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.